Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 267. The time of release. It's a new episode each day this week. This time around, FX master, genius writer-director, and returning friend of the show, Steve Kostansky. This guy is amazing. His latest project is the much-anticipated TV series, Day of the Dead, and it's available October 15th on Sci-Fi. If you're listening to this when it comes out, that means tomorrow or later tonight. Whichever comes first in your world, Steve directs the first four episodes and executive produces a show, as well as being part of the team responsible for the out-of-control gore and zombies, and it is so much disgusting fun, the likes of which you have never seen before, which is very much on brand for Steve. Find out what this new series has in common with George A. Romero's original classic, tear into the insane special effects gags, and so much more. Also, Steve reveals his favorite Friday the 13th films and his dream to create one alongside his Astron 6 collective. This is the film we all want to see. We catch up on the success of his brilliant Psycho Gorman and if we'll get a follow-up and so much more. Episode 267 with Steve Kostansky is now playing. This is Steve Kostansky. Frig off and listen to the Boo Crew. What's the one thing that we all have in common? We all die until this morning. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is a returning guest to the show. He is a twisted, evil, mad genius filmmaker and a virtuoso creature and practical effect master working on films including The Haunting in Connecticut, Todd in the Book of Pure Evil, The Wrong Turn and Resident Evil franchise, Brian Fuller's acclaimed Hannibal series, Del Toro's Crimson Peak, Suicide Squad, It, Star Trek, and more. His own films have received multiple awards from festivals all over the world. As part of Winnipeg's rogue Astron 6 collective, the spirit of inventiveness is based into everything he does. Manborg, Father's Day, 2016's Unforgettable, The Void, Leprechaun Returns, and the most over-the-top, all-out cinematic attack, the likes of which we've never experienced before this past year's Psycho Goreman. At time of release, his latest project premieres October 15th on Sci-Fi. It's a TV series, Day of the Dead. We are honored to welcome the illustrious Steve Kostansky. Yay! <laughs> wow, thank you for that epic uh, wrestling intro. I feel like there should be fireworks going on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just you wait. Dude, I love I love the setup. Where are you at, right? Is this your workshop, your office? What are we looking at? This is uh, my basement shop right now. It's a bit of a mess. Uh, I've got a few uh, top secret things I'm working on that are just out of frame. But... Yeah, it's uh, I've, I've moved into a bigger, bigger space and I actually have a little home shop to work and do my effects and things. So, oh, dude. yeah, and you got I got all my buddies behind. me. Yes, uh, yes, you do. That guy from PG that I realized I never actually gave a name to fetus monster from the void and uh, our buddy Jason. 
Was was it Jason <laughs> nice. just a self made project? Was it from used in a film? What was it from? Uh, a friend of mine a few years back wanted to be Jason for Halloween, so I took it as an excuse to make a Jason. I, my goal is I want to make a bunch of the different Jasons. Uh, so this one behind me is like kind of my riff on Jason Goes to Hell. He's like pretty bulbous and messed up looking. I've actually got a part two Jason that's molded, but I haven't cast yet. Uh, I really want to do a part four and maybe a part six because, yeah. It would just be fun to have all this. Hell yeah. What's your yeah. favorite installment of Friday the 13th? My favorite? That's tough. Actually, no, not really. I think six, two and six are my favorites. Wow, really? But that, that'll change, I'm sure, like in a month or something. Like with, with the Astron guys, we're always trying to rank them as like the best. And I feel like I'm constantly changing my opinion because that's just the nature of those movies. They're like... It's kind of whatever you're feeling in the moment. Like sometimes I'm feeling a little takes Manhattan. And sometimes if I'm being real weird, I'm feeling Jason goes to hell. But yeah, I love part part six is like feels the most like what I would do if I made a Friday the thirteenth. It's like pretty fun and like almost Sam Raimi-esque at times. Like it it's very much that late eighties kind of like horror comedy vibe that I really it's like a good energy and i like that tommy jarvis is basically the dr loomis of the friday the 13th which is was an element i thought was always missing i like that he kind of brings the tension and the exposition to the story but then also i've recently fallen in love with part two because it like watching one and two back to back it's such a like jump in quality and it's crazy to me that two is directed by like steve minor who had never directed before like that was his first movie and it's like really cinematic it's well shot like just on a purely like technical level there's like really nice blocking and staging of sequences uh stuff that yeah like my first movies i was not doing so yeah i find it just a really effective uh slasher uh, and uh, has some really creepy moments. That shot of Jason behind Ginny is the main girl in part two. I, I think. believe it's so. Like, yeah, yeah, Amy Steele. Yeah, yeah. J- J- she's in Jason's cabin, and you see him through the window behind her, like running up to the house, and it's just it's horrifying. Just like here, like seeing him silently running up is just such a nightmare image. Uh, I think it's like one of the peak moments of the whole franchise. So. Yeah, two and six today. Have you thought of what you would do if you had your fingers in that franchise? Oh, yeah. I've had to like stop thinking about it because it's like too depressing because I know it'll <laughs> never happen. I don't know but, about that, man. <laughs> things, get, yeah. things are happening with the, with the licensing right now, I've been hearing. That's and- true. I guess anything is possible at this point. But uh, yeah, like I, I wish that they got to a point where every year they just gave a different filmmaker a shot and like, like continuity be damned like just let them make the friday the 13th they want to make because that's essentially what the franchise is like each movie yeah, is really became totally that. stylistically wild compared to the other ones so yeah I, I would love to take a crack at it uh, i kind of feel like i would have to do it with astron six if I did that by myself, I'm pretty sure they would all murder me. <laughs> <laughs> so the, idea of, the idea of an Astron 6 Friday the 13th, 
uh, excites me. The it most. would be insane, yeah. dude. I would love to yes. see that so much, yeah. man. Well, before we get into Day of the Dead, I, I wanted to ask you about what have the legions of fans that have welcomed Psycho Gorman with such open arms done to your creativity and your trajectory as far as that character and possible other incarnations of him will unveil themselves? Well, I mean, it's a legitimate stress because I want to follow that up with something that delivers. And so just the the more people love the movie and want more from it, more I'm like, oh, shit, I got to like really deliver a thing. And I'm trying. I'm, I'm working on it. It's it's surprisingly complicated trying to get this off the ground. It's sequel issues like rights and things like just trying to like make all the things line up and also just find the time to sit down and write the damn thing because I'm so busy with effects work and stuff right now. But I hope to get something going soon. In the meantime, there is our comic book Kickstarter from Lethal Comics that we have going right now, which that should whet people's appetite for PG uh, in a pretty satisfying way. It's uh, So it's an anthology comic that is kind of referencing those Star Wars anthology novels from the 90s. There'd be like Tales from uh, Mos Eisley's Cantina, Tales from Jabba's Palace, Tales of the Bounty Hunters. So this is like all the stories that the Galactic Council has of their like near misses with PG. And it's just the idea is it's like takes place during the movie. So it's like the council sitting there waiting for stuff to happen with Pandora. And they're all like, like just passing the time being like, well, what was the last time you encountered PG? And then like each character goes off on a crazy wild story about what happened. And uh, it's, it's really turned into like a heavy metal style, like anthology comic where we've just got so many different artists and personalities and writers like, like taking a crack at it that uh, it's, it's great because you're just getting a really rich universe, like, like, re- like building on the universe in a really interesting way and letting people kind of run with the concepts. So like someone will take like a Cassius 3000 and build a whole backstory or do you like supervise? I mean, I wrote kind of like a rough outline for the whole thing. And I definitely have like specific premises that I threw at them for like each character. I was like, this one is a heist movie. Like this one is like a romantic comedy or like I, I threw kind of like tones and vague ideas at people and uh, they took it and expanded on it. So it's awesome. I get to have that a little bit of that, like George Lucas control where I don't have to do all the work. I can just like sign off on things and give approvals. And because it's a comic book, I don't have to stay up till four in the morning building creatures that need to be set the next day. So it's like, I'm really, I'm really happy with how it's going. The Kickstarter like made its money in the first 24 hours and is now just raking in cash. So I don't know. Maybe comics is the world I need to transition. Oh, that's incredible. Yes. <laughs> and then all, all these different, like, I've seen there's a, like a series of like craft beers that just got released, like Psycho oh, yeah. Warman beers and limited yep. action figures. Tonight. Yep. <laughs> so what, what has been like, is all that stuff like derivative creations of fans who just go ahead and make the stuff and then show you, or are you involved in any of that stuff? Or is there anything that you've seen that you're just like, this is fucking amazing. I mean, there's definitely, uh, there's like a whole fan art 
uh, component where people are just making stuff and tagging me in it. And I love it. I love like every day there's some new weird thing that somebody, somebody decides to draw or paint or make. And that's really fantastic. But also the other side of it is like all this stuff is like legitimate licensed stuff, like where we've worked out deals with people. And again, it gives me a little bit of that George Lucas vibe on like the smallest scale possible, but like just being able to, be a complete sellout and be like, yeah, let's have toys. Let's have beer. Let's have comic. Let's just have all the nonsense because that's what's important with these things to me. That's how you build the universe out in a fun way is also in the ancillary merch uh, that's outside of the actual story of the film itself. And so, yeah, really great. Brilliant, man. Brilliant. So we'll go to day of the dead. So, you know, George Romero has gone on record saying that that's his, his favorite one of the ones he did, right? From back in 85. And stories about military survivors in an underground bunker as the zombie apocalypse kind of rages on outside. I'm curious as to maybe you could shed some light on this. Maybe I have no idea, but I've always been curious. Why out of all the films in the original series do we get remakes? We got two sequels of Day of the Dead. We got Bloodline and Contagion in addition to the new TV show. Besides just the fact that the original is astounding, are there unique like IP rights at play with Day that that Night and Dawn don't have that you know of? I mean, I I don't want to speak out of turn. And this is just me speaking purely as a horror fan that reads things on the internet but my impression that i get is that day of the dead as an ip was purchased and is separate from night and dawn as far as i know night is public domain still because they're constantly making now the living dead stuff but as far as i know the rights for day of the dead have kind of been floating around for a while and that's why we've had so many different iterations of it and again that's just me horror fans speculating there was no like real discussion with me and uh cartel the company that produced this as far as like where the rights even came from i just got an email from sci-fi channel being like hey we're doing a day of the dead show you want to do it and i was just like yes please (laughs) (laughs) the way they did the gore and practical effects gags in the original film i gotta say i'm a huge gore hound when I saw Day of the Dead back in 85, I mean, I'd obviously seen it in the 90s when I was a little bit older on video, but it was the first time I gagged while seeing a horror film when Captain Rhodes was getting dismembered and attacked by all these zombies and was, choke on them doing that scene. What impact did, did Savini's work and, and all that have on you seeing that first Day of the Dead? Well, it's kind of a funny story because being in Canada, we had available to us the Canadian cut of Day of the Dead, which is like a weirdly massacred version of the movie where they lifted out all the big gags, like the Rhodes death, Steel, when he like blows his brains out. Basically, anytime a zombie headshot happens, they just didn't even try to like finesse it to make it seem intentional. It would be like a character like pulls a gun out and points it and then there'd be an awkward cut and then they would just put their gun back and be like, now the zombie's gone. And so I recommend trying to track it down because it's so weird. And that was my first time watching Day of the Dead. So watching this butchered cut, I was just like, what even is this movie? Like coming off of Dawn of the Dead, uh, which is such a masterpiece, to then go to this, which is is great and I love it. But watching this version uh, really like neutered it in a weird way and having no payoff at all. So it was actually a while before... 
I think actually like it was the DVD that I have. There was like an Anchor Bay DVD that had the little like, fold out bub on the front. That DVD was the uncut version. So that was me finally getting to experience the movie properly. And then when I did, I was like, oh, this is awesome. And I had years of anticipation, like, oh, I hear that there's like a proper version of this movie I can watch. And finally getting to see it after like theorizing on like what the gags looked like, it really delivered. It was so satisfying. I love the one character that's getting torn apart and like it's like his his like eye kind of pops out. Yes, yes. Like Tommy like pulls his skin like yes. at his forehead and then it's just like one bugged out eye. I love the other guy like with the vocal cords, like his head getting pulled and his vocal cords like stretching, like like the audio getting all distorted was super cool. So yeah, that's my like weird history with Day of the Dead, where it's like it uh, you know started off being this disappointment, where I was like, oh, is this all this is? Like it's kind of like to go back to Friday the Thirteenth endlessly, um, Part Seven, where it feels like that movie is compromised pretty seriously, and uh, so with Day of the Dead, it felt the same thing, where I was like, I don't feel like I'm watching the movie I'm. Like the way it's right, you're meant to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. So finally getting to see it was uh, really an exciting experience. And uh, yeah, just was so satisfying. And I've been in love with it ever since. The Boo Crew will be right back. This is the sound of a normal heart. Now, listen to that same heart subjected to a night of total terror. Night of the living dead. The dead who live on living flesh. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. The living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures. Night of the living dead. Bizarre adventure in fear, an experience in shock more shattering than your strangest nightmare. Night of the Living Dead. A night of total terror. The TV series is really kind of a remix, I guess, of a lot of elements from the film. In your mind, how how is it connected beyond, you know, the Easter eggs and, you know, name coincidences and all that kind of fun stuff for the, the fans to discover? Yeah, I mean, it, it was certainly something like when it was presented to me in the like the initial conversations, my first thought was like, do you have people in a mind for 10 episodes? Like, is that a thing people would want to watch? But then when I read it, I was like, oh, okay, this is like a totally new, fresh thing. And that got me excited. Cause I was like, great. Let's, I, I would rather go way off in a different direction than just copy the beats of something. Like I, it's like, if you're just going to retread that ground, like why are you even bothering to do it at that point? Like I'd rather, take a bold risk than a safe uh, retread. So yeah, I mean, it definitely goes in different directions and it, it, it might be jarring at first, like f- diving into this thing where 
there's like certain similarities and characters that are like share some DNA with the original movie. But I feel like it's more of a tonal thing and a broader, like kind of Romero tone in terms of like just the, the feeling and the vibe of his movies, at least on my episodes and what I was trying to do is like, I want to just try and instill that um, and have it feel like more of a classic horror movie and not, and, and not necessarily meaning like 80s schlock or anything, but just feel like, like just the way the original Dawn of the Dead or Day of the Dead felt to me. Yeah, it just it, it just has a certain flavor and I want to try to capture that. Like visually, uh, like I, I specifically had a mandate of like, I don't want any like shaky cam stuff. Like I was trying to get it away from uh, like a lot of like modern techniques and keep it in a classical kind of visual style. And like, yeah, just try and give it as much of that vibe as I possibly could. So, I mean... I don't think the show necessarily has uh, like any like like hard connections to the original movie, but I think it's like spiritually and uh, just in terms of like little tidbits here and there. I think help give it the same flavor. Right. Uh, Romero's classic stuff. No, totally. Also, the way that it infuses that social commentary and all that great stuff that Romero did with all those movies as well is is definitely ripe in there too. Leo, jump in with your question, man. Yeah, there's so much blood and guts and gore in this. I love it, man. On the series, um, are the zombie effects and kills all practically done with makeup and prosthetics, or is it a mix oh, yeah. of practical and visual effects? Yeah, it's all all the gags and stuff for practical. I, I'm trying to remember. This actually is this is last year at this point. So I'm trying to remember all the gags that we did. Like the mandate was to like do them practically. And if we need to enhance a bit in post, we can, but as far as I know, I don't think we really had to do much, like maybe like painting out a wire here or there or something, but yeah, all those gags were happening on set and it got very messy. And, uh, that's just the way I like it. <laughs> yeah. So awesome. So awesome. How do you circumvent the challenges of injecting, a new life into one of the most important elements of the show, the zombies themselves, when you are reframing them for an audience who's maybe sat through 10 episodes or 10 seasons of the walking dead. What was your approach to revitalizing those? Well, I think a lot of that credit needs to go to Jed and Scott, the showrunners who really were the ones uh, kind of overseeing this whole thing. And I was working in tandem with them on designing the zombies, but on the page, I don't want to get into spoilers, but there's definitely like some explanations in regards to the zombies and maybe explanation is the wrong word. It's more like raising more questions about what they are and why they exist in the first place. And I thought that was a great jumping off point to try and add a little bit like a little bit like newer life to the concept of the zombie. And so that extended into the practical effects and working with Todd masters to like kind of redesign the classic zombie was a lot of fun. And he definitely brought his a game and brought his 30 plus years of experience in the industry, uh, making these things fun and interesting and giving each zombie a personality and giving them, uh, like making them memorable and not just like just a wash of muddy Brown, blood covered things you know like he 
made a point of like giving them each their moment and uh working with jed and scott and todd masters we all kind of came up with what we wanted to do with the zombies how we wanted to make them feel fresh and exciting but also pay tribute to the classics uh there's lots of like visual references in the zombies to to other classic zombies and uh yeah so it was super fun i like i love that kind of thing like even even on something like Leprechaun, like redesigning a classic character like that. Like, I think that's, that's the fun of working in a franchise or doing a kind of like soft reboot remake of a thing is like remixing what's already there because there's no reason to just have the same thing again, like take it and rethink it and try to give it a fresh coat of paint in an interesting way. And we saw some of those zombies, right? In the episode one, there's like a flag zombie. Like I call him a flag zombie. He's got the flag pulled through him. He's walking around. And then you do really cool takes on some very key zombies from 85's Day of the Dead that are really fun to kind of point out and see, which I don't want to spoil because it's part of the fun. But anyway, what were you going to say? I want to ask my most favorite question, which is, did you get to keep anything from the production? Yeah, I think I got a couple heads still in one of my suitcases. Um, I mean, all that stuff is out. We shot it out in BC. So I think Todd's still got all the molds and stuff out there. Cause who knows season two, uh, uh, maybe, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, actually also think I have some zombie wardrobe stored away somewhere. Cause I was planning on maybe shooting an insert at one point and then we didn't need to. So this long story short is, uh, yeah, I got a bunch of multi zombie crap. Uh, <laughs> awesome. You go for the arsenal. Probably deal with. Uh, <laughs> nice. Speaking of making making this stuff and everything during being in pre production and production during lockdown, did any of that inspire new ways of doing things as far as putting this together that you didn't have to even consider before? Yeah, I mean. It really just, the pandemic definitely introduced a lot of logistical problems where we're trying to figure out, like, how can we safely have crowds of zombies, like, attacking crowds of extras, you know? Like, like just trying to figure out how to do this in a way that, uh, you know, isn't going to harm anyone and spread this virus around. We were one of the first productions to come back in BC back in 2020. So... There was a lot of like kind of feeling it out as we went, figuring out like what is the safest way to do this. And it's just a lot of just being on top of like cleanliness, like the prosthetics team, like people just being keeping their hands sanitized and wearing masks and cleaning their brushes and kind of like if, if background wears a is wearing background zombie masks, like making sure it stays specific to one person and people aren't passing around different masks. And yeah, just like really everything like slowed down a little bit, not as much as I was expecting, but more time had to be taken to just make sure like we're being safe and responsible uh, as we're shooting because yeah, it's a lot of people on set and uh like there's no way around that unless you're making a thing where it's like two people in a room like you're just always going to have crowds of people and so trying to keep everyone distanced and masked and things so you know it's it's not exactly a fun layer to add on top of the already stressful process of making a production but i think we navigated it really well 
in creating the tone for this show by directing the first four episodes, what was the baseline you wanted to instill in its overall spirit going forward? And then how did you kind of supervise it in your executive producer role? Were you, were you there to consult and kind of steer it, steer it in one direction? Was that your position? I mean, the direction and the tone of the show uh, very much came from Jed and Scott. Like it's very much their baby. And I just want to help facilitate that and kind of work on how to bring my skills to the table to enhance what they wanted to do. So yeah, for me, like I feel like I had a lot of input just on like the visuals, uh, how the show looked our, our choice to be a little more composed and not go into shaky handheld world uh, was a thing that I really pushed hard for. Like I did not want I did not want this to feel like Safe and Private Ryan. I wanted it to feel like a classic horror movie. And so really like keeping that going and trying to like give it a layer of class visually, even though there's lots of wacky, crazy shit going on. Like I wanted it to look as good as possible. So yeah, that was, that was, I feel like my big contribution was just trying to set the, the visual tone of, of like what this show was. And we were always talking about like how, what can we do to make this stand out? So when you're flipping channels, you stumble upon this or you see like the trailer or something, you just know like that's day of the dead, the show, like, like giving it a, a bit of a signature visually was really important to me. And were all the gore gags and everything that we see there as far as zombie attacks and stuff, were those all straight off the script on paper or did you get freedom to add some stuff in and play in that world? I mean, in some cases it was like, we have this much time to do a thing, whatever happens, happens. And we lucked out in that a lot of them worked out really well. Uh, For me, I just enjoyed the challenge of like seeing what's on the page seeing the ambition on the page and figuring out like how in the like time we have and the resources we have, do we execute this? Uh, Cause TV moves at a pace that's a lot faster than feature films. And so I didn't have the luxury of being like, I'm going to shoot inserts for the next six months, like PG, like I'm going to go to the shop and just shoot whatever. It was like, we, we had to get as much as we could on the day. And so trying to plan things as meticulously as I could with my first AD Quincy, uh, trying to just lock down like exactly how we're shooting gags and also communicating that to the prosthetics team, because being on that side of it, working on shows when people don't communicate exactly like how they want to shoot it, like what is the purpose of this shot? What are we trying to achieve here? it just slows everything down. So I tried to hone in on every gag and be like, like, these are the angles we're doing. Everything beyond this is like fair game. If you need to hide blood rigging or something and just trying to be as concise as possible, uh, just made everything run smoother and, uh, made the gags work out great. And yeah, it was a lot of working in tandem with other departments, special effects and wardrobe, uh, just to kind of, bring it all home and tie it all together. Last question. What do you have on deck? I mean, this year has mostly just been doing effects. Like as we spoke last time, I was doing uh, the boys and umbrella Academy did a little bit of stuff on Firestarter, And, uh, right now 
I'm not allowed to talk about the projects I'm working on, but uh, yeah, I'm just doing effects in my basement and writing stuff. And it's just endless meetings. The, the grind of a director searching for his next project is just that constant back and forth and waiting for answers from people and stuff. There's a bunch of interesting things that uh, I hope pan out and will be uh, real exciting to talk about next year if they happen. Oh yeah, man. You're a madman. Yes. We love it, Steven. <laughs> Thank yes. you so much for spending time with us today. We're sorry we ran yeah. over, but you're an absolute pleasure, man. We love it. Thank you very much for having me. Let's uh, do this again when one of those previously mentioned products goes forward. <laughs> oh yeah. Sure. Yes. Awesome, man. Thanks again, awesome. Steven. You're the best. That was the Brew Crew Podcast, episode 267. Special thanks to our guest, Steve Kostansky. Follow at kill underscore Kostansky on Instagram. And at time of release, check out his new show, Day of the Dead, available on Sci-Fi October 15th. Production tracks for this one, provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, it is the Brew Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew, horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy, or disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.